Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. Helping you invest in property for freedom, choice and profit. You'll learn new, innovative and multiple streams of property income. Whether you want to start, scale or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits. Hi, Kevin McDonald here and welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. On this week's episode of the podcast, I've got a former guest back on, Samuel Chick. And he's go- he was on about a year ago and we spoke through where he had got to on his property investment journey. But I thought it'd be worthwhile getting him back on and show you what's been achieved in just 12 months. So Samuel, thank you for joining us. No problem at all. So the last time you were on here, um, were you still in a job? Yeah, it was kind of mid uh, lockdown, I believe, wasn't it? Yeah. And I was still working full time. Still then, working, yeah. but you had built up a property business. So yeah. for anyone who, just a quick update on where you had got to, I guess, before before you came here, for anyone who hasn't listened to the previous podcast, um, what were you at in the job and how many properties had you done and what sort of properties were you doing? And then we'll get into what you've achieved over the last year. Yeah, sure. So basically, I was an electrical engineer by trade. Um, done that from 16 to 29, done H&Cs, H&Ds, um, you know, went to college quite a bit. Always had properties as a bit of a sideline. Um, I bought one house, waited about two or three years, the rent built up a little bit. Bought another house, it was quite a slow burner almost, and I kind of, we kind of got to a point where I thought, right, the property is now almost generating as much as my job. The job become, when I was younger, I think my wife is like this as well, we always thought, right, we need to earn as much as possible, as quickly as possible. So we sort of ramped this thing in our head right up, got to that sort of sort of barrier almost that you could earn, um, or in that job role anyway, and then realised that we're working 40, 50 hour weeks for people that we don't really like that much. You know, when you're an employee, you can't really choose who you work with. Yeah. Um, so you're gonna be teamed up with people that you don't always see eye to eye with. Um, so yeah, then we got to that point and realised, all right, we're not, we're both not that happy. So we need to make a change. It was either you were at that T junction. We thought, right, I'm now gonna. So I handed my notice in in March, I believe, last year, uh, and then I actually left in September. But since that September, we're now where are we now? We're July, so nine months. Yeah. So in nine months, we've built the portfolio up to about seven hundred thousand pound more in net worth. Right. So more um, equity. Equity. Yeah. Right. So in literally. Nine, Nine months, seven hundred k of equity. How many projects has that involved? Um, not loads, actually. Uh, I mean, at the moment we're. I'm now on the tenth of uh, July, the thirty first. If the mortgage brokers can pull their fingers out, um, which I seem to be taking quite a long time of everything at the moment, it's going to be the tenth HMO. Right. Um, but they're quite high sort of cash yield and properties. So how do you, for anyone watching this or listening to this and they're thinking, okay, how could you create that type of equity? Um, you're not going to do that on single let, buy to lets. So no. What's the what's the, the property investment model that you're using? How, so how are you we doing? are buying ex-local authority houses uh, and then we are pushing the value up by doing renovations, extensions. There's a certain thing, um, you know, all the kitchens have to be a certain size, so 18 meters squared. Um, so not the amenity standards that it has to physically be 18 meters squared. So if you get a six bedroom house and the Rick's value measured it and it's 17.5, it'll say, oh no. What he actually says is, Sam, I don't mean 
to downvalue this property, but what I'm going to do, and you, you, say, you say this every time, but so yes, yeah, so, but anyway, you learn from that that you've got to have an 18 meter squared kitchen. Um, if not, he'll take a room off you. Yeah. So you're literally um, taking these single-let houses, single ripping them out ripping completely. Ripping the whole thing, literally back to brick, all uh, plastered, rewired, plumbing, we're doing everything, carding floors. We've got this weird, it will sound pretty rubbish now, but we kind of do like a matching ceiling, matching door in every room. So we use a little green paint company colours. So like Canton and Thai Sapphire, they're called these sort of bizarre names, but the students really like it. Um, and then as you walk around the house, you know, as you're sort of coming up to the land, you'll have kind of... That door might be like a purpley colour, that one might be a blue, that one might be a black. And as you go in the room, it's got this matching ceiling, which, you know, all white walls, uh, coloured ceilings that looks quite cool. Um, and we're really, in our, in our market, we are kind of, we're not competing with anyone sort of down here. We are, there's two, two or three people that are doing them as nice as us, but we're sort of right up there in terms of like luxury. You know, the parents come and they're like, wow, you know, the when the students initially come, it's a building site. So you really have to... You know, we tend to have like the laptop on sort of, um, you know, a slideshow type thing that projects we've done and we kind of walk through and say, look, this is how your kitchen looks now. This was a project from six months ago and now look what that kitchen looks like. So we're almost like selling the yeah, story. You know, yeah, exactly. What's, yeah. You know, we show them what stage it is and then what stage is the coming next. Um, but by doing that, we kind of just do really good renovations to push the valley up yeah. as much. So, and these then are we all sort of five, six bedroom, multi-let properties. So all five or six, yep. All the smallest we do is a five. We try, we try and keep some five and some six, just yeah. because we find that if you've got too many six um, bedroom houses, that quite a lot of people are groups of five, so they then become harder yeah. to rent out. It is easier to have a selection. Mm. And and your uh, your market is always students? Always students, yep. Right. yep. And we tend, we tend to rent them out. We had a... And sort of November-ish, we had 111 inquiries was our most, and I mean, that's 111 groups of six. Yeah. It's actually like being at Alton Towers, a bit too much to be honest, but there's people queuing up the whole way down the road. And that's just because of these like coloured ceilings, all these really nice fancy dressing we put in there. We make the pictures look incredible, so then that drums up interest. And even on our Instagram, we'll get quite a lot of messages saying, oh, my friend just moved into your house, have you got any others? Yeah. Because of that branding thing with the weird colour, even though it's just a coloured ceiling, People recognize, a bit like your shirts, I suppose. You know, people yeah. recognize that, though, don't they? And it's an actual thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think the brand and things really important as well. Now, one of the things for a lot of people that maybe listen to this, thinking about getting into um, houses in multiple occupation, multi-let properties, yeah. there's a lot of fear out there of um, HMOs, there's a lot of legislation. I mean, yeah. Is it, it's very difficult compared to single-lets. And a lot of this is, um, I would say, it's, perceived challenges rather than true, true yeah. challenges. So what would you say sort of to people who are thinking, is HMO market a difficult market? Is there a lot of legislation? Um, what sort of advice would you give people? I completely agree with you actually that I think it's just a perceived challenge. It's actually, you know, there is more steps to take, but actually it's the same as anything. You know, physically you get a fire standard from your local council and an amenity standards. Mm. It's written on paper. This is what you need to do. So if you can follow... And I'm just probably going to sort of dumb it down a little bit, but if you can follow an IKEA instructions to build a wardrobe, they're both there. You know, yeah. everything that you need is there. And that, you know, one's 20 pages and one's really 14 pages. If you can take in 34 pages of information, you know, it's very. I'd say after you've done one or two, yeah, you don't even really need to look because you know, right? I need smoke alarms. I need fire windows. I need this amount of worktop. I need this many sockets. You know, it's yeah. not. The documents the council provide have almost given you the schedule of what's there for what they have, yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. percent, yeah. And then whenever anyone, you know, the electrician or whatever, questions it, 
I'll always put the electrical scope of works in there and then also attaching the amenity standards just so then if he wants to look at it for his own purpose, he can then say, oh yeah, he's right, da, 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 and move forward. But no, I wouldn't. If you're doing, if you can do a renovation on a bungalow or a flip um, and you're managing that fine to do a HMO, absolute breeze. Mm. Yeah. Single lets. If you did a refurb on a single let, your cash flow, so you're in the Norwich area. Yep. So a similar, that the house you're buying, which is obviously you're buying it as a single let, I yep. guess. And you're then adding the value, converting it to the five or six bed yep. HMO. If you did a refurb as a single let, yeah. how much would your monthly profit be as a single let property? Uh, probably around about seven or eight hundred pounds. And what would it be as a multi-let property, as the HMO? Uh, two thousand. Two thousand. Yeah, between between about nineteen hundred and two thousand two hundred. So for that little bit of extra legislation. Little bit of extra. And I mean, you know, the only real you need different windows, smoke alarms interlinked in every room, and then your fire doors and yeah. closures. So for a three thousand pound, seven thousand pound, including the windows. Uh, but some people, to be honest, we over spec. The actual, this is probably going to bore some people, but the actual standards in Norwich are an FD30 fire door to the kitchen or fire window to the bedrooms, but we do fire windows and fire doors just yeah. to over-spec, just because... Also future-proof it for a Future-proof it, yeah. We all, you know, we, the thing is, because our product is that good, we sell it, you know, not sell it as that, but, look, you know, to the parents, like, look, we've got smoke alarms in every room, we've got windows of the f worst thing ever did happen, the fire brigade can get in, you know, there's, there's, these are the proper seals. It's a safe house, you know. We're not like a scum landlord and trying to do stuff cheaply, yeah. as get, quite like, a lot of people do. Yeah, I get like twenty years ago, single let legislation there wasn't really any, but now no. you need now you need gas safety and electrical safety, and yeah. all this. it's almost as much. It is yeah. just fire. It's fire doors, windows, yeah. and yeah. when people say windows, they'll they, you need fire escape windows for fire escape. Well, yeah, so basically they're just four hundred and fifty mil wide, and then instead of a normal window, will kind of open like that. A fire window will open all the way, so you can clearly get in and out of it. Yeah. So. Um, the student let market that you're in. Yeah. Um, what are the what's the I guess what's the benefits of the student let market and what sort of maybe would be the the challenges that you come up with with students? So the main benefits uh, is the cash flow. So physically, we've now the students are going to be moving in between August and September, and then in November again they'll be marketed. So probably in well by December they'll then be rented out for the following academic year. So that means for 12, for about 21 months, you know that you've got cash flow coming in. Yeah. Uh, they're 52 week ASTs. So there's no void periods whatsoever. Um, you, we rent them out to groups. So I've actually got a professional house as well. So it's, you can use it as quite a comparison. Professional people that don't know each other will say, Kevin keeps wearing funny shirts and it's annoying me. Or, you know, <laughs> Sam's got a really bad sense of humor, you know, whatever. But when it's a group, you don't get that because yeah. they all know each other. So they're, you know, they're obviously they argue and they've got their own problems, but they keep it in house. You in don't house. hear any of that. Um, but I mean, it does kind of have. There are some disadvantages, which I mean, to be honest, they're not really disadvantages. I think you've just got to be understanding that when a group of six students do move into a house, mm. they can be nineteen years old, so they're not going to know how to change a light bulb. They're not going to know. Um, how to cook. How to cook. You know, we had a phone, we had two phone calls this week. I mean, it's not really the lad's fault, but he's got this fly infestation problem just because there's been, he's been leaving food in the sink. Right. So you're like, oh, you, you know, you need, I mean, you'd think that you would kind of know you need to keep clean, but, but the mum's not there to get the rid mum's of the food. Not there, yeah, you know, the mum's been looking after them the whole lives, obviously, as mine was. So, you know, you are 18 or 19, you do need to kind of give them that. 
understand and help that. You know, after yeah. the first, you know, I literally walk around that. We do like um, a check-in with them all. You know, this is the fire stuff. All the fire stuff's here. If there ever is a problem, just get out, call the fire brigade, call us, you know, whatever. If there's, I'll literally turn the tap on in the sink and say, do you know what the stopcock does? They're like, no, we've never, no idea what that is at all. So I literally just turn the tap on, do a little demonstration. So if there's ever water coming through the ceiling, which there sometimes is, um, you just turn the stopcock off and then you can physically see that the tap stops, just as a nice example. Yeah. Um, yeah, people did a whole, probably a couple of months ago, we had a lady in an upstairs room. She said, there's quite a lot of water dripping through the ceiling. I'm like, okay. She's like, yeah, it's weird actually. For the last like two months, my shower tray has just been getting like really, really high water. She's blocked it with hair or something. I'm like, right, have you like tried to unblock it? She's like, no, no, not at all. I was like, oh, you know that we supply two bottles, like the Mr. Muscle declogger clean or whatever it's called. I was like, have you used any of that? She's like, oh yeah, I think so. I was like, okay, I'll come over. The bottle's never been open. Um, like, come on, you need, and then she's like, oh, you're really apologetic, but it's almost just helping them. Yeah. And now, you know, when it happens, if it happens again, she, she knows exactly what, what to, to do. do. So yeah. it's just about being a little bit more understanding yeah. with the younger groups of people. They've almost had everything done for them. Exactly, yeah. And I mean, it's, I think that's just the process that you put in place as a landlord that you know the first few weeks you are going to have these problems. But mm. then, you, you know, you put into process like, right, this is what you do. If there is a water leak, this is what you do. Yeah. If there is these problems, you know, you just kind of It's one of the big benefits that way that, though, is because you know that they're not going to... With professional tenants, they could leave after three, four, five, six months yep. or something. But with yep. a student... They're um, there for the year. They're there for the year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, it's Kevin, just interrupting the podcast to let you know that there is a completely free report on buy to let property to help you either start or scale your property investment business. It is available in the descriptions. You can go and download it completely free. It can help you to get started in property, get your first buy to let property, get you moving on your property journey on that road to financial freedom. So go now, download it from the descriptions and enjoy the read. Now let's head back to the show. A lot of people have this perception about student lets that the, you only can rent them out for the academic year and there's no rent coming in for the summertime period. Okay. Or that a lot of older school landlords yeah. would do that where they wouldn't let the property out yeah. for the summer period. So how do you get the full 12 months rent and you know, what would you say to people who've got that perception that the student lets are not a 12-month rental? I think it is market-bound. I mean, I do know a couple of landlords um, that are kind of 45 weeks that are in different areas to us, but our actual market in Norwich, everyone's 52 weeks. Right. So it's not like... I mean, sometimes I'll, I will do them for, say, 50, if, the, if this group asks for slightly less, I, w- I would go up to sort of 51 weeks, 50 weeks, depending on... Right. You know, if you've got 10 houses and they're all finishing on that, same date in September, you know, you're going to be overwhelmed with so much stuff to do. So if you can stagger them slightly, um, and I think it's about the if you've got the best property in your market and it's a 52 week AST, people want to live in a nice place. Yeah. So they'll pay for the empty. Weeks. They pay for the empty just just because that you know all our houses are immaculate. Yeah. You know, I'd live in them. They are really. I feel proud to show people around them. The parents come, they're like, wow. You know, this one we've recently done is like incredible. Um, so by having that best product, it's the same as like cars, for instance. You know, yeah. you want a nice car, watches. You want a nice watch. If you do a good product, people will pay for it. Pay for it. Regards the refurb part, because you're taking these single let properties, you're converting them into HMOs. Yeah. Um, your project planning. Yeah. 
how, how do you manage the completion of your refurbs to make sure you're not completing it at the wrong time of year? Yeah. So for instance, you complete a refurb in February, do you have to wait months before you can fill it? Does, that it, is does the, it affect you? How do you work that out? It, that is probably the biggest disadvantage of student houses actually, is that you, yeah, like you say, if you finish January or February, you've then kind of got it empty for eight months. Um, but that does only happen that first mm -hmm time and then you really ideally you want to be in the September cycle in Norwich in you know in the UEA that there is some students that come in January about 3,000 in January but the problem is if you go for January you're always going to be hitting this January January cycle which is you know not that many people really in in the grand scale of, you know compared to September so we tend to try and time it so that it isn't like that however what we tend to find is Around about June or July, the house prices, not they don't go down, yeah. but there seems to be less people interested to buy them. So actually, you can almost negotiate a bit of a better house price on the upfront, knowing that it's going to probably be empty for four or five months. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, if, done it, if you had eight months spare, you could almost get like a family in there for six months. Yeah. Um, we did kind of once look at Airbnb stuff, but for me, that's just, I'd rather just keep them immaculate, let the students move in in that September. And then once you're in that cycle, you're in it then forever. I guess from the multi-let cash flow side of things, um, it's worthwhile leaving it empty for a few months to get your yeah. extra, your 1,300 quid a month profit over yeah, your, sure. your couple of grand a month profit over your yeah. 700 quid a month profit. 100%, yeah. So you're yeah. making like 1,300 quid a month extra. Yeah, you know, if you're, if you're, like you then said, you're 700 pound a month for six months, okay, that is a good income. But then if you have any, if they cause damage, if they don't want to get out, you know, you then kind of open up quite a few problems where actually you could just leave it empty for six months not ideal, but that is only that once in its whole cycle yeah. time scale. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think you can actually negotiate quite a discount on the house price initially, anyway. And student lets, um, and one of the big benefits a lot of people probably don't realise about student lets is council tax. Yeah. So with the professional HMOs, professional multi lets, you've got to pay the bills typically. Yeah. So you pay the gas, the electric, the council tax, etc. Yeah. Uh, student let HMOs. Just don't... to inform people, what is the council tax on a student let HMO? Zero. Zero council tax yeah. because students Absolutely are students. Not, yeah, no bills at all. I and don't then pay any bills. Bills wise, who pays the bills? So we use a platform. Um, it's rented through this um, sort of a side platform who they manage all the bills and everything. So I will, the AST is done through me. So the students will pay me the rent and then they'll pay a company called Unihomes, right. um, which is like a right move for students. And then Unihomes will physically take the direct debit straight from the students. So that is no crossover in me at all. It's completely seamless. As soon as the students move in, it's, I don't know, number one, Brown Road. All the internet, TV, um, water, you know, all the utilities, basically, are completely between uni homes and the students. Nothing to do with me. It doesn't have any impact on me whether the bills go up or down. Completely seamless. By the time they moved in, that's all in their names. When they move out, there's a meter reading when they move in, meter reading when they move out, group by group, and it's no issues whatsoever. So it is a close thing to, to as close as you can almost get to the single let, let and forget, but yep. with higher cash flow. Yep, yep. I mean, don't get me wrong, there is um, what we were saying earlier about that, you know, it's as easy as a single let. It is to get the house ready to rent as a HMO, it's as easy, but actually the hard work is in the management side of things. Yep. To, get a, to get a house looking great on Instagram, to get 111 people queuing up, fairly easy. You just do your product better than everyone else's, but actually to 
systemize it all and have it still getting 111 people year two, year three, year 10. Yeah. That's the hard bit. Mm. You know, there's quite a, you have to get your fire extinguisher service, your smoke alarm serviced, you know, you have to, fire blankets, you know, you have to be doing your gas every year, you know, you do anyway, gas every year, electrical, pat testing. So just to have that system in place, one house is quite easy, but when you start to then build them up, as yep. you know, it does then, you know, you do need systems in place to help you manage that. So the last time you were on here a year ago, you were still in the job juggling the two. You're yep. obviously, you've gone full-time property now? Full-time property now, yep. yeah. Um, Loving it. What's has what's the, the plan sort of over, you, you've obviously done quite a few deals in the last year. Yeah. Um, what's the plan sort of the next three to five years? What's the, where are you heading? Is it continue to do this? Can you continue to do exactly this? We've kind of got a, um, a target figure that we want to hit for monthly income. Um, and we should do that by the end of 2025. But yeah, for now, it's just tunnel vision. Keep keep buying houses, doing what we're doing. But I just need to systemise it a bit better now. Like now we're kind of getting to this point and it's all on me. I kind of either need, now need to maybe outsource the letting side of it so I can focus more on buying the houses, making sure that the projects are going from week one to week 12. The way that we systemise that at the minute is that I'll kind of design all the floor plans, do all the mood boards and stuff. Like Even before I've got the keys, I know exactly where that light switch go in. There's three sockets, one by the mirror, there's one under the desk, and then there's one by the side of the bed. We know exactly where all the furniture's going. Each floor plan is to the exact millimetre. As soon as the builders start, there, you know, it's all there, ready for them. Um, they'll then quote it and then give us a week, start at week one and week 12. And then each, say like first fix, I don't know, plastering, house strip out however it goes in the thing there's like um, an allowance for each week so we know from week one to week 12 exactly what we're paying we can tell have a meeting with the builders weekly week four have you done this 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 and this if no how are we going to catch up if yes great so it's you can physically see there's no you know you can't use dave from down the pub no yeah. offense if your name's dave and you go to the pub but he was just chucking invoices at your left, right and centre. You know, to be at this kind of level, you have to plan properly. Mm. You can't just have someone, oh, yeah, there's a few random invoices, there's a few, oh, we forgot it. You know, you need a good system and structure in place. I mean, uh, things do come up. Yeah. But, you know, if you can sort of mitigate that, so it's just small things that are missed and not like... Large things, yeah. Large things that just because you didn't plan properly. Mm. Roughly, um, purchase prices. So you're buying these houses... You're then refurbishing them. So roughly what sort of purchase price are you looking to buy them at? About £50,000 more than I would like. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that March last year they were about two, three, five, and now they're about 300 really, 285 okay. 300 And then refurb-wise, what do you spend on them? Uh, between about 16 and 70 Okay, and then what sort of value does that give you? Um, if you were to sell it on the open market, about four two five to four fifty, but right. refinance value is about... Three eighty four hundred. Right. So you you t- you're buying them for about about three hundred. Spending spend, seventy on seven, them. Spending seventy three seventy. Yeah, and then they're getting to about four to four two five. Four two four to four yeah. two five. I mean, the so last one we done, we bought for two fifty, and we spent seventy on it, and that's refinanced at three eight five. Um, but you know, now if you were buying them at three hundred, they'd refinance slightly higher. Yeah, yeah. The market's moved up. Yeah, it's market, all relative. Yeah. So um, you're creating probably forty to sixty grand of equity yeah, in each house. Yeah, that you're kind of bringing out. What what would you say to anyone who's listening to this, waiting for the right time to buy property? I don't really think, I mean, now, don't get me wrong, that the, the prices are high, but you've just got to kind of see, say for an example, that there's 15 people at these view, whenever we view a house, there's 15 people there. And all 15 people will be in the garden, they're walking around, looking at the rose bushes, you know, whereas we'll, for instance, be looking at the walls, looking at the ceilings, like, are they covered in 
Artex, is that going to cost three grand more to cover? Like we're looking at the windows. Some of them have already got fire windows. If they've yeah. already got fire windows, that saved me £5,000. If it's already got OK walls, that saved me another £5,000. You know, if it's got a small garden which has got, I don't know, gravel or a you know, brick weave. Save Again, that saves me loads because I don't have to get a gardener in there weekly. Yeah. So just by focusing on actually the things that are going to make you money instead of looking at the flowers. You know, there's so many people there that just fundamentally don't really quite know what they're looking at. I and mean, then we'll always try and look at a bit of an edge. So has it got a parking space? Right, great. That's good for us. Um, and also how I do it is every single house that I look at, I'll basically put it on my spreadsheet and I look at the... If you put... Um, a postcode of the house in the Gov EPC website. It will physically come up and show you the EPC, which was we done it on a house recently that we seemingly overpaid. It was up for three hundred thousand. The right move floor plan was ninety two meters squared. Mm. I thought that's weird. I know on that road they're big houses, so I looked on um, the actual EPC on the Gov website, and it was like one hundred and five meters squared. So when you then put three hundred seven thousand pound divided by there. 91, it worked like, I don't know, say 3,600, for example. But then when you done it to 102 metres, what it actually was, it was then 300,000. So it's like, well, this is the cheapest house I've ever bought, even though it seems like it's not, when you actually put it metre squared basis. Um, so just by doing that and having all that data there, yeah. you can see, okay, it seems like we're spending seven grand more than we should be. However, if you look at the last 20 houses that I've sold or you've bought, it's actually a really good um, house price. So we kind of do that just to try and, put ourselves above them 15 people. Right. So the reason I want to ask you about that, about is I see a lot of people and they're looking for the right time to buy or the right house and so on, um, but you're not buying property and hoping to get it below the asking price. No. You're changing what it is and adding value. Yep. So it doesn't really what the market is when you're doing that because no. you're, you're creating the value. Yep. We put so much value in it straight away, it doesn't really, I mean, you don't really want the market to drop too much, but because you've already got that 25% of equity in there, that's kind of your buffer, isn't it? Yeah. So as long as it doesn't go below that, you're fine. But because we increase the value so much, and as well, you know, you've, don't forget, you've always got your RICS value, which is what a mortgage company will say the house is worth. And then you've also got your value, which, you know, an investor will pay, like based an out-of-town investor yeah. based on, you know, so there, it can be like up to like 20 or 30% difference. You know, then we're getting summary values at 375, but then you're getting offered 450 for the house. So... You know, if you wanted to do that model and then sell them, there's a great market in that as well. Yes, because the cash flow is so high. Cash flow is so high, yeah. yeah. So what would you say to anyone who's listening in at the moment thinking, you know, could they get started in property? Um, is property investing worthwhile even in 2022? Where yeah. buy to let dead? Um, what would you say to people who are, who are thinking, you know, is it too late for me? I mean, I've really only ramped this up in the last year and already are. Uh, you know, the net worth from your thing from the last seven months has gone so much that you'd never, ever, ever do that in an employed job. Um, just by having your own freedom, you can actually be your own person, do what you want to do. And I don't think there's another way that you could build that wealth up without doing property, really. I think if you look at all the richest people in the world, they've all got property yeah. as a... Yeah. 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 It, I say it, 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 it's the one thing that allows sort of average people to make money. Not yeah, that sure. you're average. It's yeah. clearly not average. I'm the average one. But <laughs> but it does allow average people to become wealthy. And, and it's the, the vehicle that most yeah. people have used. For anybody who's listening into this, wondering, who is Samuel? How can we find out a bit more about him? How can they find you? Um, so my name is Samuel Chick on Instagram. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to have a chat with anyone about property and stuff. 
Um, we've got a website, it's CS3 Properties. CS3 CS3 Properties. properties. Yeah, three that's with the, the number. Yeah, number three, yes, that's our company name, CS3. Um, I won't tell you where the name comes from, so it gets a bit boring, really. Um, but yeah, all we're trying to do is just create awesome homes for awesome people um, and just put our product better than everyone else's. And I think if anyone else can replicate that, and you know, you've got a model, if you can just do it slightly better than the last one you've done, then do the, you know, do the next one slightly better and always have that good product, people are going to come. Right. Um, you're not going to have any void periods. Everybody wants to know where the name come from. Even though it's boring. I can't tell you. I, nah, I I've built it out too much. I just can't tell you. Uh, we'll save it for the next one. Okay, Maybe on the okay, next one I'll fuck. tell you. Yeah, they're going to keep him on the hook. He's going to keep yeah, you on yeah, the yeah. hook. And the next time I'll say something else. But oh, I'll tell you in the next one. <laughs> <laughs> it must be really boring. Yeah, but guys, Samuel, thank you for coming in and sharing that journey no with problem us. At I all. think it's going to really help a lot of people in terms of thinking about HMOs, housing yeah. multiple occupation. So if you've heard of HMO, multi-let, co-living, it all means the same thing. It's basically a multi-let property but they start off as just a house. It's what you make them. Yeah. So Samuel, thank you for coming and sharing the journey no with problem you. At all. Absolutely awesome. You've been listening to the Progressive Property Podcast. I've been Kevin McDonnell. He's been Samuel Chick. You've been amazing. I'll see you next time. Cheers, guys.